thank you guys for allowing Beck and I to, to get away for a few weeks. We did not go on vacation. Uh, that was hardly a vacation. Beck and I uh, go to Cambodia once a year. We serve as a pastoral care couple for our team in Cambodia. And it was really good. Uh, the mangoes were outstanding. But uh, it was intense as well. And from the team there, I know you guys saw the brief little video they were very appreciative of you guys being willing to send us there to minister to them. So thank you, thank you for that. We really appreciate that. Ah, this morning and next week, uh, we finish out this series, If the Church Only Knew. You know, as I delve into a pretty tough subject today, I'm reminded of uh, when I pastored at a church uh, in, in the West. It was in a small town. And uh, if you live in a small town, you know the dynamics of a small town. Everybody knows you, and everybody knows you. They know all your business. And the church that I pastored, everybody knew everybody in the community. And when somebody new would come into the church, they weren't new to the people in the, in the church. They knew them, and they knew everything about them. And they would come, usually one would come up to me, da 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 pastor, you know, about this person, and this is what they've done, or that's what they've done. And it's like, ah, I don't want to know that. I want to be able to meet these people and form my own opinions about them. But everybody knew everybody's business. And that can be tough, can't it, when everybody knows everything about you. And you know the thing that links us together? Whether this is your first Sunday here, whether this is your, you know, thousandth Sunday here, Every single one of us who walk to the doors of this church today has a past. A past that we are so glad that God doesn't pull the sheets back on our lives, correct? Because there is no place, there is no place in the, in the church for a judgmental attitude. And Jesus walks into an incredibly difficult environment. A scripture we just read, I'm going to kind of launch off from here this morning. But Jesus is invited. I mean, he's been causing quite a stink in, in the area of uh, Capernaum and, and Nazareth as well as Jerusalem. And he's invited to the home of a very prominent Pharisee, a guy by the name of Simon. But it is evident right from the beginning that in inviting him to this home, it wasn't there, he wasn't there to be doted upon. He was there to be put in his place. Because as Jesus enters into this home, there were three courtesies that were offered everybody when they came into home. The first was that they would give you a kiss on either cheek. The second was, this was the days before uh, secret antiperspirant, or antiperspirant, uh, right guard, whatever, and you kind of smelled like the road. And so what they would do when you came into home is they would put a drop of a perfume, perfume on your forehead, so you kind of, everybody's smelling that rather than smelling the B.O. But the last thing they did was they would wash your feet. Because this is a culture where when you're reclining, you're reclining at the table. You wouldn't eat with your left hand, you would eat with your right. So you're lying on your left-hand side with your feet sticking out this way. The last thing you want is somebody's dirty feet pointing by you, right? They didn't do this for Jesus. This is a major disrespect towards Jesus. They are seeking to put him in his place. And what does Jesus do? He sits down anyway. You weren't supposed to sit down until your feet were washed. But they didn't choose to do this to Jesus. But Jesus and the Pharisees are not the only one at this dinner. See, this is a house where they would have had an inner courtyard and an outer courtyard where people could stand on the periphery and watch what was going on. And there's someone who's there, someone who this wasn't her first time that she'd ever heard Jesus. 
And as she comes, she stands back there. And I don't know what it is, but she comes with an alabaster jar. And she comes and she stands at Jesus' feet. Imagine this with me. She stands at Jesus' feet, and the tears begin to flow from her eyes. I saw some of you when you sang, How Great Thou Art. I remember singing that song like when I was this, this high. It's something about the song and something about when we think about it, what it is that, that Christ has really done for us. And when she stands at his feet, the tears begin to flow from her eyes. And they begin to drop down on his feet. And she does not only the unthinkable, she does the scandalous. There are two scandals that go on at this dinner. The first is the way in which they disrespect Jesus. But the second is when she sees the tears on his feet, what does she do? She lets down her hair. We don't get that in our culture today, but in that culture that was done in the bedroom. It's scandalous what, what she does. And then she takes the perfume after wiping his feet with her hair. She takes the perfume and she rubs it on his feet. And then she begins to kiss his feet. Can you see Simon sitting there? And Simon is like, Ugh. if this guy is who he says that he is, he would know who it is that is kissing his feet, that she's a sinner. It's not said what her sin is, but it is sure inferred, isn't it, that she's a prostitute. And he says if he would know, he wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. And Jesus knows full well who she is. Did you catch that little line? The line that said, Simon, do you see this woman? That's huge. That's huge. And you will we'll hear more about that later on as I get into something for us as a church. <clears throat> but when he says that to her, Jesus responds. He says, Simon, let me, let me tell you a story. There were two people who owed a debt to a certain moneylender. And the moneylender decided to forgive both of their debts. He said, who do you think would love the man more? He's like, well, that's an easy one, the one who's had a greater debt. And Jesus says what? You have judged correctly. In his heart, he had already judged this woman. But now he says, you've judged correctly. You judge correctly. And he says, she is loved much. Why? Because she's been forgiven much. My question, my question for us is this. All over southern Wisconsin, all over Sheboygan County, all over the city of Sheboygan, on any given Sunday, there are people who walk through the doors of the church when they walk through the doors of the church, whether it be Arise, whether it be E-Free, whether it be Crossroads, who will they encounter? Will they encounter Christ or will they encounter a judgmental spirit when they walk through the doors of the church? Because what God calls us to is to be a church where when people walk through the doors of the church, they encounter Christ. Because it is Christ that changes lives. And my question for us is, when people walk through the doors of this church, as well as any church in southern Wisconsin or Sheboygan, who are they going to meet? Are they going to meet Christ? Or will they be met with a judgmental spirit? Because as we talk about the issue today of abortion, well, wow, I read a, <clears throat> I read a sermon this week of a guy who did a sermon on abortion. <laughs> okay, please, don't get me wrong, and I'm going to get into this. Abortion is wrong. It is wrong. 
Uh, this guy went into detail of how many, how many people have been murdered in the U.S. and how many, people have, how many children have been aborted. And if you are someone who's had an abortion, you are a murderer. And it went just all this detail. And I was like, oh, my word. If I were coming to that church hearing the sermon, and then towards the end, and if you've had an abortion, we want to just say that God loves you. Oh, wow. I, at, at the end of all that, I mean, you feel like you just want to slide out under the door. and Nobody look at me, please. As people walk through the doors of the church, especially those who've had an abortion or who have had a part in somebody having an abortion, what is it that they will meet when they walk through the doors of the church? Will they meet Christ or will they be met with a judgmental spirit? I can say one thing. They probably won't say that they've had an abortion because we don't know how people will respond to us. And that's sad. That said, the church should be a place where people can be honest about what it is that's going on in their lives. You know, for abortion, there's some misconceptions within the church and outside of the church. One of the misconceptions is that abortion isn't a church issue. One in four women have an abortion. Of those one in four women, one in three would consider themselves regular church attenders. It is an issue that touches the church. It's also, uh, it's also a misconception that uh, abortion is limited to a certain demographic, to a certain, a certain um, uh, economic base of people or a certain race of people or certain uh, people who live in a certain place. And that is just false. Abortion touches every strata of society, whether you have a lot of money in the bank, whether you have nothing in the bank, whether you have a good job or you don't have a good job, whether you live in a really nice place or whether you don't live in a really nice place, whether you grew up in a home where you had a loving mom and dad or whether you grew up in a single parent home. It affects every strata of society. It isn't just, listed, it isn't just limited to one. Outside of the church, abortion is seen as something that is safe. That is a misconception. Talk to people who've had an abortion. It's not. You can have, you can, a woman can hemorrhage on the table. It is one of the most unregulated uh, medical procedures today, whether it is even a medical procedure. In addition to that, women are not only left scarred physically or emotionally and spiritually, they're left scarred physically so that when the time comes for them to want to have a child, they can't because, they've been, because of the injuries they've incurred due to having an abortion. The last one, and I know there's many other things that I could go into, but the last one is that what is being aborted is not a life. It is simply fetal tissue. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Amen. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The moment... I'm going to look around here. I've got to make sure I... Act. Okay, I can go a little more than PG. The moment that the egg and the sperm unite, that is when life happens. That is when life happens. Life happens at conception. And folks, just for parents for this week, I'll just say it this week, um, if you've got little ones, you want to make sure that they are in the, in the kid men next week because we're going to go a little more than PG next week. So just, just so you know. When the egg and the sperm unite, that's when life happens. That's when life happens. God is the author and the finisher of life. And when, when God, when life happens... God, when life happens, it's, <clears throat> it is amazing. David said in Psalm 139, he said, you created, my inmost, <clears throat> you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. God is the author of life, and God doesn't make junk, does he? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When, when you think about this uh, uh, DNA, this is amazing. When the DNA is formed, when that egg and the sperm unite, all that sper- those two became one, and it begins to immediately write the three billion character description of who you are. 30 miles, 30 miles of DNA. And imagine it like this. The DNA is folded in such a way that if it's folded this way, your hair is red. My hair used to be red. If it's folded this way, you're left-handed. If it's folded this way, you're going to have green eyes. Your DNA is so, is so uh, it's, it just blows my mind when you think about the intelligent design that God did. Within 24 to 48 hours, a woman's blood can be tested and pregnancy can be found there because there's something, a hormone, that's called EPF, early pregnancy factor. And when they take that test and find that hormone, that hormone is saying this to the, to the woman's, thank you, <clears throat> To the woman's uh, immune system, I'm alive. I'm not something alien. I'm not something for you to kill off. I am alive. 24 to 48 hours after conception has occurred. That's what God does. When God creates, he creates everything and it is good. God is the author and he is the finisher of life. Life begins with God and life ends with God. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. You were created in the image of God. And because you were created in the image of God, you have worth and value. Let me say that again. Because you were created in the image of God, you have worth and value. All life is worthy. From the gray or from the, from the womb all the way to the nursing home. All life is sacred. And it should be sacred to us. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. And when God creates, he doesn't make mistakes. Even though there are times that we would say, God, I don't agree with what you did. <clears throat> I've shared this story with you before. When we were in Hong Kong, we had a young couple come after church, and they were just glowing. And they came and said, we're going to have a baby. And they were so excited, and we just we rejoiced. They'd been trying for a while to have a child, and we just rejoiced with them. Two months later, they came, and they said, hey, can we talk to you after church? And they weren't so happy. And they said, we went to the doctor routine, routine test, and they didn't like what they found, so they had more tests, and they said, our baby has severe physical disabilities. The baby, one side of her brain did not, did not form. And they said, while the body will work, she'll have a heart that will work, she'll have a liver that will work, the body will work. The child will never speak, will never see, will never hear, will never be able to eat on its own, will never be able to hold up its head, And they said, the child will be nothing more than a blob. It will grow, 
but it will be like a newborn. It will never be able to do anything. And he said, Pastor, the, the doctors are telling us to abort. I said, what should we do? How'd you like my job at that point? And we talked about, you know, it's easy here to talk about the sanctity of life. It's another one. It's staring you in the face. And it's like, what, what do you say in the midst of that situation? We talked about the sanctity of life and that all life is created by God. And, and they said, well, then we're not going to abort the child. And they went back to their doctors, and their doctors are like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you bring a child like that into the world? Long story short, they found some really good doctors who walked them through this process. But the doctor said, if the child lives to the point of delivery, it probably will not make it out of delivery. And if it does live out of, out of delivery, it probably will not live long because it just there's so many things going on with this child. So the day came and the child lived, made it through delivery. And I called them and I said, so what'd you guys have? And they said, we had a little girl. And I said, oh, I said, what'd you call her? They said, we named her Mara. I'm thinking, Mara? Mara is a lady in the Old Testament. Her name, her real name was Naomi. And she'd been gone for a while and she came back and she'd had some tough stuff happen. Her husband died and her two sons died and she's now back with with two daughters-in-law coming back to a really uncertain future. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And I'm thinking this in my mind. And they answered the question. They said, yeah, Mara, you know, like in the Old Testament, you know, Naomi. And they said, because when we first heard what our, child, what our daughter was going to be, she said, we were so angry at God. God, why? Why on earth would you create something like this? Why would you give us a child? This is our first child. Why, God? They said, we've named her Mara Grace. Because they said, as we went through the pregnancy, we began to see God's hand in this. And that we were given a child that we were just going to be able to love on. And... Mara was born, and the day came when, shortly after, when they were going to remove the ventilation tube, and they said, Pastor, will you come up, and will you um, dedicate little Mara to the Lord? And I mean, this is the height of COVID. Parents, couldn't, parents could hardly get in to see the, the child. And so they gave me a special dispensation. I was able to get in there and, and dedicate little Mara. That was the toughest one I've ever done. And then I left, and the parents were able to come in to say goodbye because they were figuring once they took her off the ventilation tube, she wasn't going to live. <laughs> Mara was a fighter, and she lived. And one of the last things we did before we left Hong Kong was to see Mara and David and Jenny. And Mara's just like a newborn, a big newborn. Like she was a little over a year by, at the, by that time, and... She can't hold her head up. She can't eat on her own. She's got a tube in her. She can't see you. She can't hear you. But she can feel you when you rub on her arm. And she knows you're there. And you just simply get an opportunity to love. And life is sacred. God does not make junk. God does not make mistakes. And the world would say, abort, abort, abort. Why? Is it for convenience? When God chooses to give us something hard, is he also backed it up with his presence in our lives?
He does. He does. You know, sometimes we, we think about people who've had an abortion and we say, how could they do that? How on earth could they do that without understanding where they're at when they make the decision? Angela Kelly <clears throat> was the daughter of a dock worker and a, and a teacher in the UK. And for the last 20 years of Queen Elizabeth's life, she was the queen's dresser. That means every time Queen Elizabeth got dressed, Angela was the one that dressed her. Angela and the queen shared something, and it was this. It was the same shoe size. Because one of the things that Angela did was to wear the queen's shoes before she wore them. Because the queen would have to stand for long time, long periods of time, and to stand in a pair of shoes that haven't been broken in, it was, it was really hard. And so it was really an act of compassion and love on the part of Angela to walk in the queen's shoes. And you know, sometimes we need to walk in the shoes of a person who has walked through something like this to be able to understand. Why would they do something like this? When we don't realize that 67% of all women who've had an abortion wouldn't have had it had there been another way. 67%. And we don't understand what's going on in the heart of a person who's had an abortion. Some, 14, 15 years old, and they realize, I'm pregnant. What are mom and dad going to think if they find out, number one, that I've been having sex, and number two, that I'm pregnant? What are they going to do to me? And what is it going to do to them? Or you as a parent find out that your 14, 15-year-old daughter is pregnant. And well, the emotions that are running through your head, you want to strangle the guy and you want to, what are you thinking of to your daughter? And you're somebody who's in the church or you're somebody who's got a, a really good job or you're somebody who's in, in society. It's like, we can't have this on our, on our, our stand on our, on our lives. And you walk your daughter down to the abortion clinic and she has the abortion. And some of us today may have been in that spot. You're 18, 19-year-old girl. You got a full ride to UWM. And you find out you're pregnant. You think, I got my whole life ahead of me. I, I'm not ready to be a mom, much, much less a single mom. I'm not ready for that. And I'll be ready when my career, when I'm through college and when I'm established in my career and when I'm married. Sometimes a relationship ends, and it was a bad one. A relationship where the guy that you were dating, it was not only was he abusive, but he was narcissistic. And the last thing you did before you broke up with them is you got a restraining order. So you never have to see that guy again. And then you find out you're pregnant. And the thought of having to share custody with this guy and having to see this guy and having this guy involved in my... No, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. We'll just take care of this. Or you are a young gal who finds out you're pregnant and you go to the guy who has been part of this, and you say, I'm pregnant. And he's like, what are you going to do about it? I'm not ready to be a dad. I'm 18. I'm 16. I'm not ready to be a dad. You take care of that, or we're done. You just take care of it. And what is, what is her choice? Or you are you're pregnant, and you realize, do I want to bring a child into the same type of home that I grew up in? I'd rather not. 
And sometimes we don't understand what went in. For some, for many women who've had an abortion, they look and they say, what other options do I have? There's a, there's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of, you know, just what, what do I do in the midst of this situation? And it's at that point, as a church, what do we do? Because many times these things happen and we don't even know about them because there's a part of us that says, I don't know how to deal with this. Or people are afraid to share with us what it is that they're walking through. I was reading something and I came across a term that's like, wow, I'd never read that before. And they really fleshed it out. It's the term radical hospitality. They talk about the church being a place that extends radical hospitality. It is one thing to be a friendly church. A friendly church is one where you walk through the doors and people are going to greet you. If you are a first-time visitor here this morning, I pray that you were greeted. If you're a second-time visitor, I pray that they knew your name when you walked back through the door of the church. And I pray that as you sat here in the church, that you just didn't sit here, but that somebody came and talked to you. Because a friendly church will greet them at the door. That's somebody else's responsibility. I may go over them, but I got my friends over here. I got my things that I'm dealing with over here. And please, I'm not trying to bike on us, okay? Please. But at the same time saying there's a difference between being a friendly church and being a loving church. A friendly church sees. It sees, okay, yeah, that person's over there. But a loving church not only sees. Did you catch what Jesus said? Simon, did you see this woman? Do we see the people that walk through the doors of the church? Because sometimes we see them, but we say, I'll leave that to somebody else, or that isn't something that I feel comfortable with. When in reality, if God's bringing them through the doors of the church, he wants them to see Jesus. He wants them to see the same Jesus that's been at work in your life. Because there's a difference when we see. Because the church should be a place of healing, shouldn't it? A place of healing for people who've been broken, who've lost hope. It should be a place of compassion. Compassion for the wounded that walk through the doors of the church. It should be a place as well where, where Christ is seen, where Christ is shared. The same Christ that is at work with us. Did you catch what Jesus said? She has been forgiven much. And she what? It's a four-letter word that we just celebrated. She, oh, if I six words, excuse me. She's loved much. When we realize the extent, when we really understand the extent to which we have been forgiven, it should move our heart. It should move our heart in compassion. And can I say, arise, that as we move into the next phase of, of the church, I look around and I see God bringing new people. And I'm glad for that. Somebody said last week, and I, I got a kick out of this, um, they wanted to come to church. They, they really asked their friend, hey, we want to find a church. and Because I, I asked them, I said, so how do you find the church? A lot of times I see people, they drive, you know, well, we drive by the church. And this person said, well, our friend talked to us about coming to this church because they said, this is, I think this is the, the recovery church. I don't know where that came from, but okay, that's fine. I look at what it is that God is doing in our midst. And what God calls us to is to not just simply be a friendly church, but to be a loving church. A church that practices radical hospitality. She's been forgiven much. 
behind the time here. Oh. We've been forgiven much, haven't we? And please, hear me out. Abortion is wrong. I am not condoning it. It's wrong. It takes a life. It's wrong because it violates the sanctity of human life. And it takes a life. But abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Okay. You may or may not agree with me on that. And I'm, I love you. But abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Because I look at our lives. I praise the Lord that God does not pull back the sheets in my life. I am ashamed of some of the things I've done. I've been forgiven, but I'm ashamed. And if people knew who I was or things that I'd done, what would they think about me? And we've been forgiven. And that forgiveness should move us to have compassion and love for those who walk through the doors, for the ones that are sitting next to you. So what would God say to the one this morning who you've had an abortion? Or you were part of a family that you maybe your grandmom, you took your granddaughter to have an abortion, or your parent. Or you were a boyfriend that really pushed hard on your girlfriend to have an abortion. What would Jesus say to, to you in the midst of that time? Where'd that picture go? Do we have a picture? There should have been a picture with that. Because that's where some people are. What would Jesus say to you? I think the first thing that he would say is is that I I love you. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. It is not a coincidence that you're here this morning. It's not. And it's not a coincidence that of all the sermons that you could hear, that this would be the sermon today that this preached. I mean, the last time I preached on abortion was 2021. It's God who's at work. Because God deeply loves you. And that's what God would be saying. I have loved you with what kind of a love? An everlasting love. That's a love that has no beginning. It has no end. He says, I love you, warts and all. No matter what you've done, I choose to love you. And he said, I have drawn you with loving kindness. It isn't a coincidence that you're here. This is the loving, living God, the one who called you into life, is saying, I love you no matter what has happened in your life, and I want you to come to me. He would say, I love you. What else would he say? The same thing that he said to the woman. Your sins are forgiven. And he says it to every single one of us, whether it's abortion, whether it's pornography, whatever it might be. He says, your sins are forgiven. But, okay, 1 John 1, 9, it is an if-then. It, it, it is a promise that's conditional. And the promise is this. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're willing to do that, the question I have for us is, do we want to be whole? Do we want to be free? Do we want to be forgiven? The God who drew you here this morning knows everything there is to know about you, and he still loves you. And he says, come to me. Give me the grief. Give me the shame. Give me the hurt. 
Give it all to me, and I'll give you what? What does he say to the woman next? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do we want that? I mean, what would life be like if we were truly, truly set free? Whether you're struggling with alcohol, whether you're struggling with drugs, whether you're struggling with lust, whatever it might be, struggling with telling the truth, what would it be like to finally come face to face with a Savior who says that I love you and I'm willing to forgive you and go in peace? What would it be like today to walk out of here knowing that my sins have been forgiven, knowing that I am at peace with God? And it isn't just something we can wonder about. It's something that we can have. And he says, bring it to me. Give it to me. You know, the thing that I know about what we've walked through is that God will redeem. God will redeem what has happened and use it for his good. Think about this. Who better? Who better to deal? I mean, as, as we become a loving church and we begin to hear of what's going on, and we're not freaked out by it, but rather we're moved with compassion. And we begin to move in compassion. Who better to talk to a young gal who's struggling with, uh, I don't know what to do. Who better to, to talk with a person like that than someone who has walked in those shoes? Someone who can walk alongside. Who better to come alongside of a gal saying, she's weeping because it's Mother's Day again. And Mother's Day just reminds her of the fact that she's had an abortion or several abortions. Who better to walk alongside of a young lady like that and to say, I get it. I get it. Can I walk alongside of you? Can I pray with you? Can I minister? Can I help? Who better than someone who has walked through that? God can redeem. God can redeem what has happened. And I think lastly... If you're a Jesus follower, the promise is you'll see that little one again. Some of us have walked through having a miscarriage. Others of us have had an abortion or several. If you are a Jesus follower, the promise is you will see that child again or children again. You'll hold them. You'll play with them. There's not going to be judgment, but you're going to be with them. That's the promise of God. That's the redemption and the grace and the mercy of God, isn't it? And he says, bring it to me. Give me the grief. Give me the shame. Give me the hurt. I love you. I'll forgive you. And I'll send you off in peace. I'm going to ask a tough thing this morning. If you have walked this road, maybe you've had an abortion, and today you walked in, it's like, what, what did I walk into? Of all the Sundays to come to church, this is the Sunday I have to come to church. It's because God deeply loves you. And he is waiting to minister to your heart. This morning after we get done with, with prayer, we're going to have uh, two gals over there by the... Um, the prayer corner over there on the wall. And if you want to pray with somebody, I would really encourage you to go over and to spend time praying. These are ladies who keep their mouths shut, who are not going to judge you, 
but who will pray with you and who will lead you to the, to the throne of grace. If that's you, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, maybe you've been a guy who's been part of that, who's been part of encouraging a girlfriend. And sometimes it's even a husband. We're saying, you know, we're, we're done. We're 15 years into this marriage, and you're telling me I'm going to have another kid? No, 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 we're, we're, we're done. And maybe that's you. And this morning, you want to pray with somebody. I'm going to ask you to come up. Guys, I want you to come up and, and pray. But gals, we're going to have you pray over there, okay? So that means that as we leave the, the sanctuary today, I would ask that we would leave. I, I love it that we hang out and we, we but today I'm going to ask just a special, a special for us today that we walk out, be quiet as we, as we leave because there are people who are probably going to be processing some of this stuff and just allow God to do what God wants to do in this place. Whew. One down, one to go. I love you. And these are things that we need to talk about because the world is talking about them. And what does God think? Will we be content to be a friendly church or will we be a loving church that sees, sees people for who they are? That when people walk through the doors, who they meet is Christ and not a judgmental attitude. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the grace and mercy that you extend towards us. Your word says that in while we were yet sinners, we were dead. We didn't have any way of changing our circumstance. And if left to our own device, we wouldn't have. But your word says that when the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. And this morning, Lord, you, you see what has happened. And God, you are waiting to forgive. You're waiting to take what it is that we have carried in here, the guilt and the shame, the hurt, and you are not only willing to forgive, but you're willing to send us out in peace. Precious Lord, I thank you that you see us. And God, as... You seek to minister to hearts this morning. I just pray, God, for your precious hand. And that, Lord, your hand would be such that we would know that we're forgiven and know that we've been set free. So, God, by your Holy Spirit, come and minister in our midst as only you can. I thank you, Lord, for these tough topics and I thank you, God, for what it is you're doing in and through these messages. And I just pray, God, build your church. Build your church and cause what takes place here to bring glory and honor to your name and to your name alone. And I pray it all in Jesus' name.